Reeling from all the terrible news, but not sure how to take action? I'm Kelly. I'm Lila. And this is What Can I Do? Each week, we interview activists about how they took action, what got them started, who helped them along the way, and what they do differently next time. In the process, we offer concrete advice on how to take the leap from freaking out on Twitter to making a difference. So let's get started. Hello, I am Kelly Pollock, and this is What Can I Do? I'm with my co-host, Lila Nordstrom. Hello, Lila. Hey, Kelly. How is your recovery from Netroots going? <laughs> uh, yes, so we had a blast at Netroots. Uh, Lila, do you want to describe a little bit uh, what we did, what we saw? Yeah, Netroots is a big progressive political conference that happens once a year, which I'm sure if you listen to our first episode, you heard all about. We got to go to a ton of really interesting panels from activists working in a lot of different areas, things that I think we're going to be covering on this podcast coming up, things like how to organize fandom communities, disability justice movements. Um, we talked a bit about you know the courts and how to address the situation in the courts right now. And we got to hear from a lot of really interesting politicians, including some of the freshman members of Congress that we're most excited about. And so we're going to be using some of what we heard that kind of perfectly matched the first question we like to ask on this podcast. And then we're also going to be talking to a few people that we met at Netroots that also answered that question for us. Yeah. And so that question, of course, is the what inspired you? What got you started? Uh, and it's it's so interesting to hear different people's stories. Uh, and so I, I hope that you're all as uh, inspired as we were in hearing these. Yeah. And we're going to head off with the one and only Congresswoman Summer Lee's journey. Listen, I ran for office and I found myself in here because when you're black and you're working class and you're a woman and you're poor and you're dealing with all of this and you live in a community with some of the worst air quality in the nation and your neighbor's grandkid has been shot in the back by police officers three times, when you deal with that, listen, you know that our task is you either got to run, you got to fight like hell, or you lose, right? So we're coming up on times where we need people who have the ability, who are empowered, who have the support structure to be bold, to go into these places and do bold things. And it's not easy, and it wasn't an easy decision. Nobody says yes to this. Nobody's like, you should run for Congress. And everybody immediately says, yes. If you find that person, don't ask him again. No, don't ask him again. <laughs> Because this is a deep thing, right? Because we're going into deep places. We're going into high places with people in a system that is built to beat us down. And the reason why I knew I can do it is because I happened to have been in the Netroots room the day where uh, my sister Ayanna Presley said that we don't just need people with black and brown skin. We need folks who are going to fight for black and brown people. I've been in rooms with, and I've watched a squad who came before me who looked in the eye and the enemy and they stood tall. That were, those were the things that empowered me. So even when I was afraid, even when I was like, I don't know if we can do this, even knowing the times that we're in, how important it is, how hard it was gonna be, I said, you know what? If there are people who are with me who can do this, then I know I can be with them. So I ran and I ended up getting across the finish line because I looked at the folks who I was with. And I said, this is a crew that's worth fighting with. And I know it's a crew who we can win with. The first hardest part about transitioning was the fact that my campaign was ugly as hell. And it did something to me. When you get beat up the way that I got beat up, you can't go through that unchanged. 
and no matter how exciting it is to win, you still, a part of that, you have to carry a part of that sorrow with you, knowing that things won't be the same. And then immediately, I was talking to Alex, um, and she was like, listen, it's going to be like Hogwarts. Like, someone's going to call you, and they're just going to get whisked away. And I was like, no, really. And you get, like, a secret message, and it's like, be in the Capitol on Tuesday, yeah. like, next Tuesday. And you got to get down there, and you don't know if you're getting a reimbursement, and you got to quit your jobs, and you don't have any paychecks, and you have nothing. You start with nothing. People think that government comes prepackaged. Y'all, it does not. When you start when you start as a member of Congress, you don't have a staff, you don't have a website, you don't have a Twitter handle, you don't have a pen, you don't have a printer, you don't have a piece of paper. Literally, you don't have an apartment. You don't know how you're gonna get there. You gotta find out where you're gonna stay. Me and Delia looked at each other three days uh, into orientation. We're like, you have somewhere to live? (laughs) And she was like, no, I was like, oh, we're gonna live together. And then Greg literally gave up the house that we ended up living in because he found something better. So it's like that. So it's like that. You're finding out everything in real time. You're trying to find staff in real time. Who are going to be your people who are going to be for you when we go to this place that's not built for us? Everything tells you to get hill-minded people, to get people who know what they're doing. And I'm saying that I came here to do something new. So I had to find people who are willing to do something new with me, and that's not easy. Next up, we have Kristen Foster, the Deputy Executive Director for Get Loud Arkansas. So I came into this work uh, really through child hunger, like through direct service work. I had grown up very poor. Um, my, my parents were teenagers when they had me. And um, I grew up in this very, you know, economically depressed community that people just did not have a lot of opportunity. And we get to like 2012 and Arkansas is the worst state in the nation for child hunger. The community I live is one of the worst in Arkansas for child hunger. And people just did not have resources. And so I organized a bunch of folks and just was like we're going to feed some kids this summer and people got really excited and really engaged in it and it turned into a really big program where we were feeding a thousand kids a week easily and I saw through that work though that you know it's the same people coming back and it doesn't matter how many bags of food we give them we're not changing outcomes through this like it's good when you need a band-aid you need a band-aid right but but a band-aid isn't isn't a solution necessarily and so I got interested in policy work through that started going to the legislature to advocate for um, good policy around SNAP and and hunger resources Um, and then I actually got hired on to run a statewide ballot initiative the minimum wage campaign in Arkansas in 2018 I got the job because I was the only person that applied. I was not qualified, but I just went in with like full audacity and like, I care about this. People should be able to, you know, afford dinner on their table when they work a full-time job. Um, And I had the blessing of my organization when I went and started the job, but they did not apparently believe it was gonna pass. And so when it did pass, I got ran out of my organization that I had founded. Uh, after five years of running it, I, I kind of got pushed out because it had made some people really angry um, that we had passed this this measure that was going to hurt their bottom line, um, even though we were serving kids who needed their parents to make more money. And so, you know, I just was like, this is where I'm meant to be, is in this policy work, in this place where so many people who are like me, who grew up with nothing, and have struggled are never at the table. Like they never get to make policy. They never get to be even a part of the conversation because they're trying to meet their needs. Like they, I mean, they can't be, they have so many other things. And so I've just, I never take that for granted that like, I've never been the person who was 
destined for politics, right? Like, but um, but I I reflect my community, and so I go and and do that work all the time. And now I'm, um, you know, in a very political role with with an organization that's focused on voter registration and civic engagement. But even that is, you know, still very much relates back to where I come from because. I know that when people in their community are engaged in their local government, engaged in their state government, you know, especially at these state and local levels, they have so much power that they don't even feel like they have. Like they feel so shut out from the system, but there is this opportunity to like have their voice heard and be engaged in the, in making solutions. And so I've just gotten really like into that of like like let's just give people power to go to their city council or their you know local government and demand better. This is Congressman Maxwell Frost of Florida. Um, it was January 2021. I had some friends that were talking with me about running for office. It was friends that I had been arrested with during the Black Lives Matter uprising. So it really came from a special place. They said, Maxwell, you know, we think you should run for office. I said, hell no. And then I went on with my day <laughs> and my month. And, uh, but really, it was connecting with my biological mother for the first time in my life. Um, in mid-2021 and learning about her story, the fact that I had many siblings, and you know, through my life I've always really latched onto this quote, Cornel West quote, you gotta see the world through the eyes of the most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And being on the phone with my, my biological mother and hearing about her life, I didn't realize it, but I had been fighting for her, right, as an organizer, and I never even knew it. So it was a very spiritual thing for me, and I hung up the phone and said, I guess, I guess I'm gonna run for Congress. <laughs> and, and that's my campaign origin story. This is Karen Gomez-Lopez, the engagement director for Fuse Washington. I initially started in advocacy in high school, uh, specifically regarding immigrant rights advocacy. I grew up being undocumented, and I always knew I was undocumented. I grew up seeing how my family did not have access to so many resources and were consistently disenfranchised um, from you know, thriving in society. We were always just trying to survive living, you know, in an apartment with over 10 people and sleeping in the living room um, to not having enough money for food and for rent and uh, parents working insane amount of hours to, you know, not understanding many different things uh, because of language barriers. So growing up with that background, um, I really wanted to make a difference in, in my community and thanks to an organization called LEAP, which stands for Latino Latina Educational Achievement Project, they began, they chose my high school and they began meetings at my high school where they started teaching us about civic engagement and the importance of sharing our stories and being involved in our communities and in our democracy. And so they would take us to the Capitol to share our stories as undocumented students. And, you know, I was like 16 years old and not even understanding exactly what I was doing. And I was always so open about uh, my status. Uh, I, I do feel like maybe that was a little bit of a difference in my story is that I grew up with so many undocumented members and community members that I didn't feel ashamed of my status. Um, but I know that it's, it is such a natural, a normal thing to feel um, because we're made to feel that way, that we have to live in the shadows. So with Leap, I would travel to the Capitol. They would just pick me up from high school <laughs> and take me with them. And I was just so happy to be able to go out and see a new city and see the Capitol, these beautiful buildings that I would have never had the opportunity to see if it wasn't because of them. And so I would share my story as an undocumented student. And they would tell me 
don't say it's you. You're a minor. We don't want to put you at risk or, you know, for safety. And I would say, but I don't care. Like, I, I want to share that it's me. And so until I was 18, until I, t- until I turned 18, I would say it was a friend. And I would say I have a friend who's undocumented, even though it was myself, right? And so uh, those that's, that experience was a catalyst to my advocacy and my years of being involved in different ways in my community. Uh, it took several years for us to finally pass financial aid for undocumented students, but I was the last graduating class that didn't have financial aid, and the year after I graduated, uh, we finally passed it, and that was so um, significant and important for our community. Uh, My senior year, I had applied to several colleges, and I knew that I just was not able to afford it, and so I uh, resigned my admissions and I said I'll see what I can do I'll, I'll figure things out I'll just work like our community always does and you know we passed financial aid and that was so monumentous and so but you know what there was still a lot of barriers I still had to work two jobs during community college and then at the university uh, but I was doing my part to you know fundraise for scholarships for undocumented students and continue being involved in as many ways as possible and you know I uh, was participating in conferences and doing different things, really just hoping to make an impact in my community. And that experience with Le- with Leap was really the catalyst in my life in terms of advocacy because I uh, realized so many things. I, I realized that members of Congress that were voting uh, in my state legislature that were voting for these bills, they did not represent our communities, did not understand what our communities were going through, and they didn't understand the impact of the bills that they were voting on, right? And so for me at that young age, I already felt, I already had this understanding of this needs to change, right? And I want to change this, and um, how can we change this? And so uh, that's why I continued being involved in different ways, working in uh, higher education, working in nonprofits and state agencies. And now I work as an engagement director, uh, doing a lot of uh, voter outreach and voter engagement, uh, just really trying to continue being a part of um, grassroots organizing and advocacy, hoping to change uh, immigration you know, ideally pass immigration reform, but also just a multitude of other issues that are affecting our communities, you know, uh, labor, uh, reproductive rights, um, economic justice, there's just a multitude of things our communities are experiencing and they're all intersectional, right? And so I hope that uh, to continue working and making a difference in our communities. Next, we have Congressman Greg Kassar of Texas. Hey y'all, buenos dias, how's everybody doing? Um, So I really felt like it was time to run for higher office. I was a city council member. I had been a labor organizer in Austin, Texas. When I was trudging, yeah, what's up, Texas? Um, When I was trudging through the snow in less than 10 degree weather in Texas, which does not happen in Texas, we had our entire power grid go down. Hundreds of people die, people with no water and no power, not just for days, but sometimes for weeks. And I was carrying blankets donated by neighbors who didn't have power in their own homes but had spare blankets to a gym where we were keeping people alive. And as we were walking through the snow, uh, my staff sent me a note saying that Ted Cruz had just been spotted getting on a plane to go to the beach in Cancun. And somehow even, you can boo louder for Ted Cruz at Netroots. And somehow even worse, our governor was going on Fox News to blame windmills and the Green New Deal for the power grid failure and the, and the climate crisis. 
And it was at that moment that it was so clear that not only are they unfit to govern, but they're dangerous, and that we have to go over their heads. And that in our recent history, people of conscience and movements have come together to undo what repressive regimes in the South have done by passing the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act and creating Medicaid, and that we're called to a similar moment now to not just pass Medicaid, but pass Medicare for all. To not just take on the environmental crisis, but to take on the climate crisis. To not just pass the Voting Rights Act, but the John Lewis Voting Rights Act to restore voting rights to every single person, black, white, and brown, incarcerated or not, immigrant or not. And I think that what pushed me to say I could do this is that there was a national movement uh, and local movements that were pushing for all of us and what brought us all here today. So the transition wasn't easy, but I do want to talk a little bit because about this, that it was better for me this time than it was transitioning into office in 2014 as a council member. Mm -hmm. And I think it speaks to the progressive movement. I mean, back then, being a fight for 15 person, telling everybody to organize their workplace, talking about publicly funding abortion travel for young people, that was like not a, it was not, it was a lonely thing. And then seeing Ilhan and these other folks that blazed that trail in 2018 made it easier for us. Now we came in with this crew of people. And so coming in in 2014, feeling really isolated and alone, I think it's important for us to own that we've really shifted stuff. I mean, a lot is hard, but we should know that we actually can change things. And so now we've got these folks with us in Congress. Like, I can listen to records with Maxwell and go out dancing with Delia and lose to, uh, to summer in basketball and have a, have a team. And when you start having that team, that brings more and more people through the door, and that's going to change the face of power. Next up is Carlin Cowan, pronouns they, them, from the Chinese American Planning Council. So my journey into activism, I think, began early on. My mom is an immigrant from the Philippines, and she grew up under the Marcos regime, um, which meant that her, like many of her family and friends, were disappeared. And when she came to the United States, she had the reaction very much of, like, you have to be careful, you have to keep your head down, you can't be involved. Um, because something really bad might happen. But at the same time, hearing those stories of uh, the injustice that she faced and seeing that in, in my own community, I felt like I had no choice but to be politically active. And I think the thing that activated me was the Iraq war. And in high school, I helped organize a walkout on it. And I never looked back. Next is Congresswoman Delia Ramirez of Illinois. So I also said hell no. Uh, I come from the state legislature. Uh, Illinois has become one of the most progressive states, if not the most progressive, in my opinion. Right? Raising minimum wage, making sure that we're moving on clean energy, uh, codifying Roe v. Wade, expanding health care so non-citizens um, non are able to have access to health care until we get Medicare for all, and the list goes on. So coming from the state legislature and being asked to run for Congress, I'm like, hell no. But we got to build a coalition and make sure we have a progressive person that comes from our roots, from our community, representing us in Congress. We, we, that we can't be apologetic about. And so I said no a couple times. And then I also said, where are we going to raise money? We're not taking money from corporate contributions. We're not going to go in the traditional way. How do we build? Uh, but, but I'll say to you, for me, Ilhan, having a community, a community of people, uh, my mother, uh, my husband, who's a dreamer, um, coupled with my colleagues, right? In this movement that we all got elected in the last five, six years, they said to me, your name will be on the ballot, but we're all going with you to Congress. Oh. This is about what we're building together. And we ran 
like that, and we won in a four-way race by 42 points when I wasn't supposed hey to win. That's what power is and the responsibility of delivering now that we're in Congress. And last up, we have Sean Frame, the founder of The Six Pack. You know, I was always politically interested and politically adjacent. I paid attention to issues. I was one of those people who, you know, back in the much um, more simple times, read the newspaper and would say to myself, somebody ought to do something about this. Um, and never really got any further than that. You know, I had a small business, um, had, you know, kids, and I got involved in volunteering at my son's school, public school, in their garden program. Um, and, you know, that was the extent of my civic involvement. Uh, and then um, when my younger son was in second grade, uh, the principal of his school was shot by the, by the custodian. Um, and, you know, Sam uh, LaCara is his name. He, he, was, he was the kind of person who knew every kid by name. He knew their family. He knew their family situation. He greeted the kids as they arrived at school every day by name. He was just the kind of person you want in charge of a public school. And um, when the parents committee was formed to help find a replacement for him, I was asked to be on that because I was a volunteer. And that was not an easy process, as you would imagine. Um, here we are trying to heal our community and at the same time trying to figure out how we're going to go forward. Um, and so from serving on that committee, I got to know a lot of the administrators. I knew most of the teachers because I was on campus all the time, but I didn't know the administration. And they said, you know, you were a very calm voice. You, you were able to unite people. Have you ever thought about being on a school board? And I thought, I don't know anything about education policy. Why would you want me to be on your school board? They said, you can learn all the policy. What we can't teach people is to care and you care. So I was encouraged to run and ran for the school board and served for nine years on that school board. And what I learned from being on that school board is there's a lot more to education policy than I think anybody ever thinks about or knows. I, I learned everything about how the budget works from the state. I learned um, how policy rolls down. I learned how curriculum is instituted. I learned um, you know, every last bit of education because I'm not the kind of person who's going to take a job like that and then not learn and become good at it. So um, that experience really prompted me to think that maybe someday I would want to run for another office and expand the, my, my, my public service. So flash forward to 2017 when Trump uh, takes office, really 2016 when he was elected. And, and it was, the conservative community I lived in at that time, um, a few of us got together to drink some coffee and cry um, and, and then really think about what does this mean for our community? What are we going to do now? And um, out of that, we said, well, why don't we just get together every month, every second Sunday, and, and support each other? And we'll everybody invite everybody you know who might want that support. And that grew into a group called Colorado Progressives that's now 2,500 people strong. It's one of the most, the largest nonpartisan political organizations in the Sierra Foothills. Um, and that was the first moment that I had ever really been in front of a room of people I didn't know. And I realized, I had this moment where I realized that people were looking to me to tell them what to do, which seemed crazy to me. It really did. I was like, why me? Why not the person standing next to me? Why not her or him? You know, just why not them? I, 
I and I and I thought, you know, maybe there's something to this. Maybe, you know, and I realized that there was a lot of just hand wringing and anxiety and no direction for it. So um, I said, we need to take a group of raise your hand if you want to figure out what we ought to do together. And we formed this group and we formed issue based um, work groups. So we a work group on immigration rights. We had a climate work group. We had a civil rights work group, a labor support work group, um, you know, a healthcare work group. And each of these work groups, the folks in them, some of them were already experts. Some of them were just people who wanted to go do this kind of work. And we grassroots created so many things from that. We have a community table that supports the immigrant community now in that community that didn't exist before. These there were people who were food insecure and had nowhere to get food and wouldn't go to the programs that existed in the community because they didn't want to raise their hand and, and be seen. We created Housing El Dorado, which is now the largest NGO in that county and handles pretty much all of the state money for the unhoused in that community. That all came out of that. And I just realized, like, committed group of people focused together, respectfully working with each other, can, can accomplish amazing things. Now that I live in Sacramento, um, I look at our state legislature, and we have a supermajority of Democrats, and yet we can't pass policy. We can't pass single payer. We can't fund our education system properly. Um, we can't build housing for the unhoused somehow. And I just keep, I kept thinking, how is this possible that we have what ought to be the most progressive state in the nation, the fourth largest economy in the history of humankind, and yet we can't do any of those things. And that's why I decided to run. You know, in the intervening time between the start of Eldorado Progressives, I ran for Congress. Out of that experience, I started a PAC. So I learned how to do grassroots fundraising, um, created a list, learned how, you know, did all the things, built the skills, worked and in, got involved with dozens of other campaigns, by the way. If you're going to run for something, go work on somebody else's campaign. You will learn enormous things from doing that. I was, the first time I did it, I was learning every day a really hard lesson. So I will just say, don't do what I did <laughs> the first time, which is just go bang your head against the wall and learn every hard lesson every day. But like, be intentional, go work on, go find other campaigns of people you admire and go say, what can I do for you? What do you need help with? Where can I learn? Pick an area. Do you wanna learn about finance? Do that. You wanna learn about field and canvassing and how to, which doors to knock on and how to pick those doors? Go do that. Um, those are the steps you can take actually that will lead you to a place where you will one day feel that you've got the competency to do this at a high level because it, it is a lot. It is a big bite. Like, but also, if you, if you do it, if you get comfortable with those things, then you get to do the fun part of it, which for me is a fun part, which means you get to go out and I get to talk to people about the things that matter to them every single day. And like I wake up every day, people are like, it's a hard job you do. I go, I get so filled up by the idea that I get to go actually raise people's issues to a higher level to take the activism work that I did and actually start thinking about specific legislation that can make it happen, that's, that just is super exciting. But not possible were it not for the intentional work I did, the doors and doors and doors and doors and more doors that I knocked, the phone banking I did, 
where people <laughs> hang up on you, <laughs> yell at you for calling them during dinner or whatever, uh, the text banking, all those things led to the possibility of doing this. So I don't know about all of you, but I loved hearing all of these stories and it really hearing the, the various things that get people to the point where they say, that's it. I need to take action. Uh, and that, of course, is what we're always interested in hearing about here and then what, you know, what they do, how they take the action. Uh, as you were listening, Lila, what, what were the things that really stood out for you? I'm always really interested in hearing about how new members of Congress actually adjust to the job. I think before the sort of AOC era, I had never really heard anyone talk about what it is to become a new member of Congress, what the orientation is like, what some of the logistical challenges of finding your place in Congress are, including things like, you know, how you find housing in DC. And so I was, you know, I thought it was really interesting to hear some of those challenges from some of those freshman members of Congress. And I something about it just makes like makes all of them feel a little bit more relatable. Like it's real people in Congress who are figuring out like real life questions. And that always feels comforting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think as a whole, Netroots and these stories that we heard uh, are, are something that have given me hope that change is possible, that a, a better world uh, can be in front of us. But we also asked uh, a couple of the people from these interviews what gave them hope. We'll leave you with uh, some of their, their words about what gives them hope. I think my community keeps me hopeful. I think to see the resilience that communities that have years and decades and centuries of marginalization and oppression to see how we are still so resilient and we are so joyful. I think to see that nothing takes our joy away is one of the things that inspires me the most. Um, you know, and, and at least in my culture, being Latina, we just live life, right? Even if Even if we're going through... Uh, poverty and a multitude of other things we are still so joyful we love dancing we love to be with our families and party and uh, I think that really keeps us motivated to continue and I think also seeing youth seeing the energy that youth bring that this optimism of we can make change I think all of that together really keeps me hopeful and motivated to continue. It can be very difficult um, to keep hope in a red state for me, you know, it's it's really funny. My team always jokes because we'll always get new merch right around elections because I get really in my feelings and then I'm like, I'm going to do something creative. Like I need to do something creative to deal with these feelings. But then it's just like, if I quit, if I leave and go somewhere easier, who's left? Like if everybody leaves to go to a state that's not red where we it's easier to win, we're just leaving behind people who cannot get out. Um, and that's just not an option for me. Like, I'm just, I'm committed to the state. It's a good state. We have good people there. There's a lot of wonderful things about Arkansas. It's beautiful. Um, our policy, or our politics right now is a little trash. But we've seen through the ballot initiative process that Arkansans love progressive policy. They don't like progressive politicians. And so, you know, helping people connect with those issues and how they really, like, impact their daily lives, I, I think for me is a big way of, like, you know, staying grounded in the work and keeping that hope because we know it makes differences. Like we know it changes lives. What gives me hope is that there are more good people than, than not. So when I was on the other side of this and looking from the outside, looking in, I, I always was very cynical 
about oh those people they're all bought off they they don't there's no good people in there by default anybody who would want to do this is necessarily a bad person like i thought all those things i think a lot of people think those things but now that i've gotten to know people and work with amazing people and you know you come to a conference like this what you see is there are actually more good people than not and what we have to do is make sure that we support one another get us uh, the good people into those positions of power build the coalitions that will actually move us forward the people are there ready to be activated to do good things and that gives me hope every day thanks for listening to what can i do you can find show notes and credits for this episode at whatcanidopodcast.com to the best of our knowledge all audio used by what can i do is in the public domain or used with permission Original artwork is by Matthew Wefflin and used with express permission. You can find us on Twitter at WhatCanIDoPod. To contact us with questions or guest suggestions, please email hello at WhatCanIDoPodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review and tell your friends.